Wow. I want you just to savor this moment. So maybe you would do what I've said many times in this room and say at every wedding that I perform to that bride and that groom. Maybe you would just take a deep breath and just breathe this in. Because some of you, you prayed that prayer that changed your life in this space. Some of you, you, you stood right here and you committed your life to another in, in this space. Some of you walked through those waters of baptism. Some of you have mourned with deep grief. And then on many occasions you came in and you brought the worries of the week to the Lord. You came in searching and as he always does when you ask, God answered. He, he met you at your place and, and your point of need. And I'm just here to tell you today that while that may be your past, our God has not changed. He promises to do that not only today, but he promises to do that for the rest of your life. But you may come in with questions because, in fact, we are a questioning people. <laughs> it's like we come out of the womb with questions and, and we go through life with questions. And the youngest in the room today and those next door are wondering, what am I going to get for Christmas? Or how many more days of school do I have and then maybe you're here and you're a little older and you're thinking, am I ever going to graduate? Or, or where am I going to go to college? Or do you think there's anybody for me? Will, will I get married? Or what should I do with my life? What's my career going to be? Or some of you are 40 or 50 or 55 years old and you're thinking, what am I going to be when I grow up? I still don't know. And, and some of you are thinking, is this the time to to step out, to retire, to, to slow down. And, and our life is filled with questions. When God gave us our little girl. We had no idea that she would be so inquisitive. And her mind is remarkable. She, she has almost a photographic memory. She, she doesn't forget things. And, and yet she asks a lot. One day on vacation, my wife decided to count how many questions Anaya asked. And she said, I'm not going to include things that she asked that are fair questions because she's blind and she's wanting to make sure she doesn't trip or, or get into trouble or, or do something wrong. And so she didn't count any of those, but she stopped counting before the sunset that day at 796. <laughs> we are a people of questions and and really, that's why we come into this space anytime is because there are questions in our life and, and we're wondering if God, the God of the universe, will, will meet with us and answer the, the biggest questions. And, and even when we go through specific seasons in ministry and in and, and, and our life as a church, we try to answer questions that help us all as a family understand where we're going. And, and that's what we've been doing over the last several weeks, even in regards to this strategic campaign. 
we've tried to say, why are we doing this? We begin by saying we're doing it for you. Because God has a plan for you. But that verse that we get that reminds us that God has a plan for our life reminds us that God, God's plan for us involves him and them. He does it for his glory, and he wants us to be involved in the lives of those who don't know him yet. He's put us here in this place to make a difference in our little corner of the world. So when we say it's for you, it's not a selfish you. It's a selfless you that's giving back to a glorious God. We say we're doing it for you, but we're also doing it for that next generation, those that are coming behind us. We're blessed to have five children. One day, God willing, we'll see grandchildren. Maybe if he allows, we'll live long enough to see great-grandchildren, as some of you. Anybody here that has great-great-grandchildren? Let me see your hands. A couple of you in the room. God is good, and we want to care for those that have gone beyond us, but we want them to find us faithful, right? We're doing it for the next generation. And we're doing it for this city. God has placed us in a strategic location. Our church has three campuses, but this central campus is the hub of our ministry and our mission. And we've discovered that within a 15-minute drive of this particular campus, we could touch more than 500,000 people. When you add in the other two campuses, God's given us a big reach in this city, a city that he's brought the world to, a city that's a, couple, a, a location that's a couple of miles away from one of the largest universities in the country that has more than 5,000 international students, and a, a city in, in which we're told the largest mosque in North America is being built. We're, we're doing this for the city, and we're doing it for the nations because not only are the nations coming here, but we want to go to the nations. There are 3.28 billion people in our world who don't yet know Jesus Christ, and we want to do everything in our power to let them know because that's our mission. We're doing whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light of the love of Jesus. Like a city on a hill. There's 7,402 people groups, groups of people that have no active presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're doing it for the nations, but we're doing it for the kingdom of God. Because as we learned last week, God's vision is bigger than you, it's bigger than your children your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. It's, it's bigger than this city. It's bigger than the nations. God's vision is for his kingdom. Because all of this book, from beginning to end, is pointing to one who's preeminent, who deserves all in his name is, say it together, church, Jesus. Ultimately, what God wants us to understand in this moment in our church, in these minutes in our lives, is that that which we do, we're doing for Jesus. To help illustrate that today, I want us to answer two questions. Perhaps life's two greatest questions, two philosophical questions that all of us have. Here's the first one. Who am I? Maybe you've come 
needing to have that answered. Maybe you already have that answered. We're going to answer that today. And then that second question, why am I here? Why am I here? I want you to pray with me once more. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we've gathered, we've celebrated in obedience, believers' baptism. We've worshipped you in song as you command. We've shared our vision for the future. We've sought your face in prayer multiple times. And now we open your word and simply ask, speak. Oh God, give us what we don't have that we desperately need. Teach us what we don't know that we can't live without and make us into men and women, boys and girls who are positioned in you to make a difference in our little corner of the world. Lord, in this moment, I'm thankful that in this room I'm surrounded by love. God, if no one else loved me like you do, I've got my family here and they love me. But Lord, in these years I know I'm, I'm surrounded by a church family that loves me. But Lord, today we don't need to hear from me, we need to hear from you. So give me the words to say. Even guide my thoughts. Just as you've guided me to you as my redeemer and my strength. Uh, One more thing, Lord. Would you allow today to be the day that somebody gets it? Where they're saved? Where they understand surrender? Where they forsake religion? And Lord, maybe the chains, the bonds of their past are, are broken And they sense and know you in a new and fresh way. Would you do that one more time in this place, Jesus? And we thank you for this. As I ask this in your name. Amen. We failed to do something officially and I want to invite you to help me do that. Because we're so grateful that in the most unusual season in our world at least in hundreds of years, we've had the technology for people who could not get out because of their health to continue to worship. And many are doing that with us online today. Would those of you in this room welcome those who are joining us online in worship? We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along with me. You need that because that will be a reminder to you that these are not my words, but this is the Word of God. And I want you to understand the context for that first chapter. Paul, the author, the Apostle Paul, he's in chains. He's in prison and and he's suffering for his faith. And I don't know each of you well 
And, and so I don't know your, your spiritual background, but maybe somewhere along the way somebody made you think if, if you did things right and, and you always obeyed God, everything would be wonderful in your life and you would have no trouble or, or pain. And, and I'm here to tell you today, unfortunately, that's not true because the, the gentleman that the Holy Spirit inspired to write a large portion of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul that, that we think of as the greatest missionary apart from Jesus who ever lived, uh, he, he wrote most of what he wrote in the New Testament while he was in jail knowing that his life would end. And that's the case here. And he's writing to a, a church that he didn't know real well, but he cared about. It's a church in a city called Colossia. It's in what we would consider modern-day Turkey. And he was addressing a couple of very real problems in that church. You would say they are threats to the church. And one of them was an ancient cult. It went by the name of Gnosticism. But let me just tell you basically what it meant. It professed that Jesus was less than God. That he was good and he was a prophet and, and we should listen to him, but he, he was not God. By the way, there are many who still believe that today. That was one of the threats he was dealing with, the deity of Christ. But then also he was dealing with the threat that many in the church felt like there was a secret system or society. And only a few of the people could really know God in the right way. So if you were to divide up our group, for example, today, they believe maybe that 95% of us, we could, we could love God and we could go through the motions, but there was really only 5% of the people that really understood, that knew the mystery. And the reason this is so significant, because as we're trying to figure out who we are and, and why we're here, I, I recognize both of these problems are threats to the church today. If we don't understand who Jesus intends to be in our lives and in this world, we will not ever accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And if we don't understand that the mission of God is available to everybody, not just a select few, then we will miss out on the very best that God has planned for us. And churches are eat up with that. In fact, we've got a name for it. It's called the Pareto Principle. Maybe you've heard it. it it's the idea that 80% of the consequent comes from 20% of the cause. In a church, we word it like this. We say 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And the only reason that could be possible is that many of the people think that, that they can't get in on what is best. So this is an important passage today. And it's in that context in the first chapter that Paul writes these words. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And throughout scripture we see the reminder that we see in these very first verses. We know that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. I hope you recognize that today. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I know that from this passage because he begins by saying, I'm Paul and I'm here by the will of God. I've got news for you today. I'm Paul and I'm here by the will of God. It was 11 years ago. 
11 years ago this month, in, in cold Branson, Missouri, that I kept getting phone calls from a friend named David Twitty, and, and he wanted to talk to me about this church, and I really didn't want to talk to him, but I would say, how's it going? And he would say this every time, it's a Chamber of Commerce day here today, sunny and 75 degrees. And then he'd say, what's the weather there, Paul? <laughs> God led us on a process that wasn't easy but was clear. And so I know I'm Paul and I'm, I'm here by the will of God. And that same God has will. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. You can know and do the will of God. Isn't that exciting, church? But there's more. <laughs> there's more to this. After Paul encouraged them in that way, he then thanked God for them as I thank God for you. And then he told them why they were there. Listen to this, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of his sins. He's describing God's will for every Christ follower. And so if you didn't know it today, if you want to know and do God's will in your life, the first thing you have to do is look in God's word and say, what should it look like if I follow Jesus? And that's the passage that I just read. It's straightforward. God's will is his plan. It's not hitting. He, he wants you to live with spiritual wisdom. As Christ followers, man, we should be wise. Remember Solomon? God told him he could ask for anything, and he asked God for wisdom, and God made him the wisest person on the planet. And, and so now we have his writings and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And as you get into that daily, you can get some everyday wisdom that's a supercharge into your life. If you're a Christ follower and you're seeking after him, there's no excuse but that you walk in, in spiritual wisdom. But then he says he, he wants us to walk spiritually worthy. You know, there's a look that we should have. And throughout history, the church, with big old capital C, it's got this wrong because it's made the look about what we dress and how we cut our hair and, and the things we may or might not, may not have on our body. And, and the reality is that was never what it was supposed to be about. But there is a worthy look. There's a worthy walk. And all we have to do to understand what that is is we look to Jesus. Because you're going to see that in Jesus we see God. And in God we know what we're supposed to be like. We have a spiritual walk. He says not only that, you, you're, you're supposed to have spiritual wisdom. And you're supposed to be spiritually worthy in your walk. But you're supposed to do spiritual work. Nowhere. Say nowhere. You're right. Nowhere in Scripture do you ever find God's Word implying that the spiritual journey is something that you can just sit on the sidelines and enjoy. 
30 years this year I celebrate full-time vocational ministry. And yet, I bet every year of my ministry I've heard people say, I'm just taking some time right now and I'm just going to soak it in. You go ahead, but you do that in disobedience. Because the Christ life is a life in which we do spiritual work. That's what he says he's qualified us to do. And in fact, he defines that with a word. It's the word maturity. He says, I want to be able to say to God, here's the church at Colossia. And they are spiritually mature. Oh, church that we call Mission Hill church that we say says we want to do whatever it takes wherever we are to shine with the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill I, I want to be able to present you to the Father and say that you're spiritually mature in fact at the end of chapter 1 that's how Paul defines it look at what it says in verse 28 it says him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ it's a summary of his previous prayer. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just to occasionally go through motions, but to live your life in maturity. Are you mature? God wants you to be mature in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God's plan and his purpose for your life is already clear. You don't have to wonder what his will is for your life. He's made it clear. In other words, God's plan and purpose for your life is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I love what Max Lucado said. In his little book called Because of Bethlehem, he says Jesus was in the very nature God. Before Bethlehem, Jesus had every advantage and benefit of deity. He was boundless, timeless, and limitless. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. Every rock and tree and planet needs a stamp that says, made by Jesus. He gets credit for the whirlpool galaxy. It contains more than 100 billion stars. He created our sun. More than a million earths could fit inside the sun. Jesus fashioned Betelgeuse, which if it were placed in the center of the earth's solar system would extend to the orbit of Jupiter. That star is approximately a thousand times bigger than our sun. And Jesus spoke, and it happened. He calls each star by name. And can fold up the skies as a Bedouin would pack his tent. God's plan and purpose is for your life to be all about Jesus. Are you living according to his plan? In order to do that, you have to know the answer to those two questions. <laughs> Remember where we started. Who am I? Why am I here? I think the answer to those questions is found in these next verses that we read in Colossians 1. Paul has just said, I want you to live this spiritual life, and that's only possible because Jesus qualified you by his death on the cross. He forgave your sins. It's the gospel. If you're a Christ follower, you're a Christ follower because Jesus took your punishment. He paid the price for your sins when he died on the cross. 
Someone put it this way. When we want to show generosity, we put our gifts under the tree. When God showed generosity, he put his gift on the tree. And so in light of that, Paul says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and, see this, for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. Who's the head of the church? Who's the head of the church? He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So remember the threat. People were saying Jesus is less than God. <laughs> and Paul stomps his feet and he raises his voice. And he says, let me make something clear right here, right now. Everything, say everything. Everything was created by him. Everything. Say everything. Everything was created through him. And everything. Say everything. Everything was done for him. You know what that means? That means both of life's two most important questions are answered in that verse. Verse 16. Who am I? I am a valuable creation of the creator. Nothing I... Do in life, no accomplishment, no education, no job title, nothing I do could better define me than that reality. I am created by the one who handmade everything. That gives me value. And so are you, friend. More important than your past, more important than your future. Nothing you do will make you more or less valuable to God. That's who you are. But why are you here? Why am I here? Well, he answered that too. I was created for Jesus. Say for Jesus. You know what that means? That means that nothing I do, no education, no accomplishment, no job title, Nothing I do is more important than what I do for Jesus. Now, this is where we need a little work. Because a lot of us are doing a lot that's not really for Jesus. And a lot have the biggest and the best portions of our lives that are being done. And they're not being done for Jesus. We have to be reminded of that great quote 
only one life, and it'll soon be passed. Regardless of how old you are, only one life, and it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last for Jesus. So Paul's message is clear. You don't think Jesus is God, Jesus is supreme. And you don't think you have what you need, let me just tell you, Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever the circumstance in your life, Jesus is the answer. And I know that sounds like something you would expect a preacher to say, but that is the core of our faith. If we don't hold on to that, we have nothing to hold on to. Whatever you're facing, Jesus is the answer. And you may have some disappointments and you may have some hard time and you may be chained up like the guy who said this was, but Jesus is still the answer. He's supreme and he's sufficient. So here's your question. Are you resting in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus? And we could say a lot more, but it really comes down to that. If you profess to be a Christ follower, are you resting in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus? In other words, are you saying, Jesus, you're bigger than any big problem I have and you're enough to meet any need that I have? In your home, is he su- supreme and sufficient? Your family, is Jesus supreme and sufficient? In your work or, or your school life, is Jesus supreme and sufficient? In your, in your finances, is Jesus supreme and sufficient? In, in other relationships in your life, is Jesus supreme and sufficient? Well, there are two things I've got to understand if I'm going to live like Jesus is supreme and sufficient in my life. The first thing is this. Jesus expects to be everything to you. Jesus expects to be everything to me. Someone said the turning point in our life happens when we stop seeking the God we want And start seeing the God who is. And and some of you, you profess a faith that to be honest with you is not consistent with the Christian faith. But you profess that faith. And you struggle because you're you're trying to create God in, in your image rather than be molded and shaped into the image of God. And that never ever works. You will always fall short. Or some of you maybe with good intent are looking to Scripture and you're trying to see God replay in your life some of the things He's done there. And instead of, instead of seeing God the way He wants you to see Him, you're looking for the great I was. And He says, I am the great I am. Jesus is everything you need. And He expects to be everything to you. Think about that passage I read from Colossians. All things were created for him and, and through him and, and by him. Listen again to Max Lucador. What a phenomenal list. Heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, no thing, no place or person omitted. The scale on the sea urchin. 
the hair on the elephant hide, the hurricane that wrecks the coast, the rain that nourishes the desert, the infant's first heartbeat, the elderly person's final breath, all can be traced back to the hand of Christ. The Christ of the galaxies is the Christ of your Monday. The star maker manages your travel schedule. So relax. You have a friend in high places. Does the child of Arnold Schwarzenegger worry about tight pickle jar lids? Does the son of Nike founder Phil Knight sweat a broken shoestring? If the daughter of Bill Gates can't turn on her computer, does she panic? No. And nor should you. The universe's commander-in-chief knows your name. He's walked your street. Jesus is in control. He's preeminent. He doesn't want to be elected president in your life. He doesn't want a prominent place in your life. He wants you to know that he is preeminent. And he is whether you acknowledge it or not. He's preeminent in creation. That's why he says things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. He's, crea- he's preeminent in new creation. That's us. That's why he mentions the thrones and the rulers and those in authority. He's preeminent in our sanctification. That's why it says he's head of the church. And he's preeminent in our salvation. That's why we're reminded that he gives us new life because of the cross. All things. Everything is by him and through him and for him. He wants to be the glue that holds your everything together. It was Louis Giglio that I first heard talk about laminin. Laminin is the cell molecule adhesion in your body. Billions of protein cell molecules. They become like the glue that holds your body together. Now, Scripture says that Jesus is that glue. That's what we've just read. He's the glue that holds us all together. So after a conversation with a molecular biologist, Louis Giglio discovered that when you look at a picture of laminin, it has something quite interesting. Maybe you will recognize this. Billions of cells in your body that are stamped with a reminder That Jesus will hold you together. He's everything. He wants to be everything to you. Why am I here? I'm here for Jesus. I live my life for Jesus. Well, how do I live my life for Jesus? That's how we wrap up. All right? How do we put handlebars on this? And take it. We've learned that Jesus expects to be everything in us. Now we need to see that Jesus in us is everything we need. So hear me say this to you today. Jesus in you is everything you need. Everything you need. Everything you need. Everything you need. Jesus in you is everything that you need. So remember the second threat. They were threatened because they were saying Jesus is less than God. And and Paul said, let me set the record straight. The second threat, though, is that they were threatened because they didn't feel like everybody could be a part of the the in-the-know crowd. (laughs) 
And so Paul, at the end of this chapter, he says, let me set this straight. Look at what he says, verse 27. To them, God chose to make known great among the Gentiles the riches of the glory of this mystery. Okay, you want to know what the mystery is, guys? Here it is. Here's the secret. Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say Christ in you. That's the mystery. Some of you haven't discovered the mystery. Some of you think it's a secret that only preachers or singers on a stage can understand. Only those who give their life to full-time Christian service. Only those missionaries on the field. Only those Christian concert artists. Some of you haven't understood that if you're a follower of Christ, you've got the secret. You've got the mystery because you've got Christ in you. It's him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, this is why I toil, struggling with all the energy that powerfully works in me. That's the secret, guys. If I could afford to, I could retire today and tell you I've done my job because that's what you need to know. Christ in you is enough. Christ in you is everything you need. Not Jesus and you. Remember when those bumper stickers came out? Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus doesn't want to be your co-pilot. It's not Jesus and you that gives you the ability to do everything. It's Jesus in you. But Jesus in you is a game changer. Jesus in you makes all things possible. Jesus in you makes nothing impossible. That's the message you need to hear. And that's the message we've got to share. That's what we have got to tell the world. Not only each other, but we've got to tell that to those who are coming behind us. We've got to tell that to this city. We've got to tell that to the nations. We've got to shout out loud that Jesus is enough. He's the beginning and the end. He's the door. He's the light of the world. He's the prince of peace. He's the way maker. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's all we need. Jesus is enough. I want you to understand today the world does not need more religious instruction. We don't need more church ritual. The world needs a relationship, Christ in you. In church, the world doesn't need more church programs. Or it doesn't need well-known Christian personalities. It needs to find its position. And some of you need to find your position which is in Christ. So Paul was proclaiming the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. If I could sum up my faith, I think I could do it with three words. I'll put them in a sentence. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is sufficient. And I have surrendered. That's really anybody's journey. 
And, and, and Scripture can proclaim truth. Scripture can say Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. But Scripture, in God himself, he can't make you surrender. So I guess the first question we got to resolve is, has there been that time in your life where you surrendered everything to Jesus? Because no matter how many facts you know about the Bible, no matter how religious you've been at different points in your journey, you're not a Christian if you've never truly surrendered. If you've never had that moment where you said, I can't do it on my own because I'm not supreme and I'm insufficient. You have to surrender. And so you just need to know, as you're hearing these words, if, if that's you, if you've never had that moment, man, people have been praying that today would be the day of your surrender. For me, I was blessed. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, so I, I did hear the truth of the gospel early. I, I understood, when I began to understand that I did wrong things, I understood that I was a sinner and that I needed God's forgiveness. It didn't take much for me to accept that that's why Jesus died on a cross, that he died for the punishment of my sin. So I remember as a young child where I knelt down, actually in my backyard, and I said, Jesus, I need you to come into my life and take control. I surrender. And I tell you, in the years that have passed, there's been a lot of failures. There's been a lot of things in my story I wish I could erase. But the truth is, I've kept coming back to that surrender. I've kept my yes on the table. And I need you to know that our family has done that as we come into this strategic time in, in our church's life. As Kimberly and I began to pray about what the future would hold, we knew that this was a big deal. We knew, we knew that we needed God-sized gifts. And, and so we began to ask God to help us give the, the, the largest gift we've ever made. We're faithful with our tithe. We believe in that. We believe that's 10% of what comes into our income. And then we already give offerings. But we ask God to help us to give in a significant way. But we had a problem. <laughs> our income was shrinking. Not because of the church. Our church is so generous to us. But we've got a big family. And we're about to send our last son to college. Which will make again what has been the reality for about 10 years. That we have two children in college at the same time. And then we've got this precious little one that my wife wants to be able to spend a little more time with. So we're probably going to go down to a one-income family here in the next several months. And so we begin to say, where, where are we going to get this? And I had this radical thought, I thought, that just popped into my head. But now I really believe it was God working in that day. Because that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to hear from God about how he would have you get involved in what we're doing. We call that revelation. It's something that God tells you. And so here was my thought. Um, hey, you have the ability that not everybody has. You can, without penalty, go into your retirement. And so I began to ask some financial guys about that. And everybody, two or one of them, they said, I don't know about that. That's your future. I don't think I would do that. And yet as Kimberly and I talked and we prayed, God, God began to just impress in our heart that he was supreme and he was sufficient. And he could meet our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And so we just made that decision. And I have to tell you, we, we had some funny moments in that. Because from when we made that decision... To when I began to share that decision with some of our leaders, I watched my retirement account increase by the amount of money that I was going to be able to take out. Isn't that awesome? But guess what? Don't clap. Don't clap. 
because in the moments of that time until today, <laughs> I've watched it go back down. <laughs> but guess what? We're not making that decision based on revelation. I mean, based on reason. We're making that decision based on revelation. And I'm so excited to tell you, you know, we're not the only ones that have done that because some of our leaders in our church and some, some key folks that are already a part of what's going on here, they wanted to let you know that they're taking this seriously and they're already in the game. They're already involved. They believe that Jesus is supreme. They believe he's sufficient. So as of today, 60 families or individuals in our church have already committed $1,824,730. Isn't that amazing? Already. That's about 60 families or individuals. That's some of you in here. And the truth is, as God works in your heart and he's telling you he's supreme and he's sufficient, it may be God's telling you, you got to do a little more. I don't know. But a lot of you in here, that doesn't include you yet. And this is your moment. And you've heard the reality. Jesus is supreme. He is sufficient. But you've got to decide if you're going to surrender. This week I picked up one of my favorite books from my library. It's one of my treasures. It's Billy Graham's autobiography. One of our sons. The, the only son that has a name that is not out of Scripture is, is from someone that we felt like he could have been in Scripture <laughs> He's named after Billy Graham. His middle name is Graham. I love this resource. And some of you don't know that Billy Graham has a significant tie to Temple Terrace. Uh, Billy Graham was here for his years in Bible college. And he talks about those moments in this book, Just As I Am. In fact, listen to what he says. Some of you that drive around here, you can recognize this. He says it's the moonlight, the moss, and the breeze, the green on the golf course. All the surroundings. He says he had a season in his life where he was already going out preaching, and it seemed like God was working in his life, but he didn't know if that's what he wanted to do forever. He had not really committed to God, I'll do whatever you want. And he says that one night in 1938, he just walked up and down the fairways of the Temple Terrace Country Club, like some of you have done. He says no one was out there. He was just weeping, crying out to God. And he says that it was in that setting that he knelt down and he surrendered. He said there was no voice from above, but in my spirit I knew. I had been called to the ministry, and my answer was yes. You know what's crazy? One man who knelt in Temple Terrace, God used to change the world. What could God do if one church with one voice in one moment said, yes, Lord, whatever it takes, wherever we are, we want to shine with your light and love. 
like a city on a hill. So when I was researching to get that quote, I discovered something I either did not know or had forgotten. Billy Graham talks about the different people that lived here during that time. He said there were a lot of the homes, but some of them were vacant because of the stock market crash. He said, but one of the people that lived here in Temple Terrace was a guy by the name of J.W. DeVenter. And he was a musician. He wrote a song you may know. You may have sung it. Or maybe in this room many, many times. Right here in Temple Terrace, DeVenter wrote, All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. For His presence, I will live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. Jesus is supreme. Whatever you're facing, He can handle it. He's bigger than the biggest of your problems. Jesus is sufficient. Whatever your need, He can meet it. I promise. What you've got to decide is whether or not you surrender. Now, in a moment, I want to go back to that biggest question of surrender. I want to come back to that salvation. But if you're here and you know for certain that you've got that relationship with Christ, and you know for certain that you you want to get in on what God's doing, I want to encourage you to, to take out this little card. Those of you that are watching online, I believe there's even going to be an electronic card that comes there in the comments and the different platforms you're watching on. If you need one of those cards, if somehow you didn't get one when you came in, there are people that you can just lift up your hand even right now. There are some, DJ, that we need to get. These cards can be brought to you. But I want you to begin to pray about how God would have you be involved over the next three years. What does that mean? Well, that means however you choose to do it. Some people are making one big gift. Many people are just making a weekly or a monthly gift over a three-year period. I've already mentioned some are giving tangible things like stocks or possessions, cars, boats, whatever. Maybe the most sacrificial gift would be that single mother that hardly has anything in her mind to give, but sacrificially gives a small gift a month and knows that God will meet their needs. It's not equal gift. It's equal sacrifice. It's not based on what we can reason. Because I'm going to tell you, the, the greatest opportunities God's ever given me to give it wouldn't have made sense to me. It's based on his revelation. So, it's been clear. Here's our plan. I'm asking, if you're a part of this church family, whether you're a member or not, if you consider this your church family, your home, I'm asking you to be a part of this today. Invest. For you, for the next generation, for the city, for the nation's, 
for the kingdom of God, for Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? And with our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. There's somebody here today that's never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know it. Maybe you thought you had, but just as you came in today, as we were talking, you've now realized you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why not make today be today? Why not let this be the opportunity where you surrender, where you give your all to Him? Here's what the Bible says. You were born separated from God. Not because you're a bad person, just because we're all born with sin. If that sin's not dealt with, you'll stay separated from God forever. But Jesus died so that that need not be the case. Jesus loves you, and he does have a plan for your life. That plan is all about him. So you need a moment, just like those who walk through the baptistry, just like many here, where you can say, I understood that I was a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And I've asked him to take control. I've surrendered. If you've never done that, maybe right now you would take that step. You would just say this. Dear Jesus, just you and God. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I'm insufficient. But Jesus, you are sufficient. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive today. Would you come into my life? Would you take control? I surrender. I surrender all to you, Jesus. Now tell him thank you. Now, with our heads still bowed, our eyes still closed, the rest of us, you've got that commitment card in your hand. I'm going to ask you to express that commitment here in the next few minutes. I'm going to go grab my sweet wife and my son. We're going to lead the way. We're going to place our commitment card in one of these boxes. There are boxes on tables in the balcony. There are boxes on tables here at the front of this room. And we're asking everyone who's a part of this family to get involved and invest on this. So I just want to pray with you for surrender as you hold that card. God, I pray that you would use this moment for those who are here, for the next generation, for this city, for the nations, for your kingdom, Lord. And Jesus, I pray that you would give us the strength to do something we wouldn't think we could ever do something that exceeds our expectations because we're doing it for you Jesus so we surrender in Jesus name would you stand together with me I'm going to ask you as God leads you church family would you come and be a part of this special moment would you come and make your commitment at this time